0: I invite you to keep your Bibles open to 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. We'll be doing this text in two parts, so today I'm going to cover the the first couple of verses, and then the next time I'm here, uh, we will cover the, the second part. This past week, it's after Thanksgiving, and so... Uh, not only are people looking forward to, to Christmas, uh, but uh, winter is about to be upon us. Uh, I, I don't know if on Friday you saw there was a little flurry of snow. I saw an article, probably clickbait, and I, I fell for it. The headline of the article said that by meteorologists, some e- meteorologists, Accounts or predictions Philadelphia is going to see 75 times more snow this year than last year 75 times times more snow this year than last year now, I don't know what the numbers are But let's say we had an inch of snow last year then they're predicting 75 inches of snow this year Winter is approaching which means, when we are out on the road, we need to pay more attention to the warning signs, or the black ice warnings, or the snow squalls uh, that that might be coming up. You know, warnings on the radio, even potholes, uh, pedestrians who are out holiday shopping, traffic, all kinds of things when we are out on the road, when it comes to winter time, we have to pay more attention to the warning signs. In our text today, God gives us warning signs that we ought to pay attention to because as the Word of God says, this situation that's described in our passage will become increasingly more the reality of As the days pass, as we get closer and closer to the end. Our text talks about godlessness in the last days. And there is no question that more and more each day, as each day passes, we see more and more godlessness in our society, even in our country. I would even say things that are advocated for today in the broader society. You could not imagine anyone advocating for those things two, three years ago. But they are today. So there is no question that today there is more and more godlessness. And it increases with each passing day. And so it behooves us to pay attention to these warning signs that are in our text. Now, just to give a little bit of background, when we come to today's text, remember in the previous chapter, in fact, in the pre- in the immediately prior verses to chapter 4, the Bible talks about the mystery of godliness. Um, in chapter 3, it talked about the qualifications of elders and deacons in the church. And then at the conclusion of chapter three, it says basically God is calling elders and deacons to be godly, which we might think it's a great mystery, but the way chapter three ends, it says, well, that mystery has been revealed manifest to us in the person of Christ. And since Christ is the word made flesh Godliness, the mystery of godliness has also been revealed to us in the Word. That was chapter 3. Now, juxtaposing that in chapter 4, the Bible begins to talk about the current situation, which is increasingly more and more godlessness in the last days. And it gives us several warning signs. Now, when we look at a text like today's and it talks about deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, people who speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. We might take these to be ad hominem attacks on people or on on false prophets, and we might kind of gloss over this list. We're not going to do that Um, because I don't think the Bible is just throwing out random insults at false teachers, just for the sake of insulting them, ad hominem attacking them. I think there is actually some value into looking carefully at what each of these warning signs are and what specifically is the Bible warning us against. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, We're going to talk about the first half today, and then the next sermon we'll talk about the second half where it talks about people who forbid marriage or forbid eating of certain foods and et we'll We'll leave that for next time. But today we're going to focus on these four warning signs. What is a deceiving spirit? What does it mean when the Bible talks about doctrines of demons, uh, people who speak lies and hypocrisy? And what does it mean when someone has their own conscience seared with a hot iron? But before we jump into that, Let's say this. Uh, the Verse 1 begins by saying, Now the Spirit, Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. A natural question is, so where does the Holy Spirit talk about this? Where does the Holy Spirit talk about that in latter times some will depart from the faith? Well, in many places, one of the reasons why we read Matthew 24 in our new testament reading was is that this is one of the places where the holy spirit talks about the holy spirit through jesus christ talks about the end days a couple things that we can point out first the holy spirit says that this increasing godlessness is not just from outside the church and in the world in general but Increasingly, it'll come from within the church. Matthew 24, verse 11. Many false prophets will rise up. And this correlates to our text. If you look at verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. When it uses that phrase, some will depart from the faith... It's assuming that those who departed were in the faith at some point, meaning they were in the church at some point, but then they've departed. So we're not just talking about a rot, a societal or cultural or theological rot, spiritual rot that we see outside the church, even though that's where our attention might be most of the time, right? especially when we turn on the news, like in my introduction, we said, it's no question that our world is falling into more and more godlessness, more and more so, day by day. A lot of that refers to what's going on outside the church. But the warning signs here are warning signs for the rot within the church. Another thing that the Spirit says through Christ That particular rot that will arise within God's church will be a specific one. Essentially, it'll be one where their church will more and more fall into lawlessness. And lawlessness, not only in regards to disobedience to God's word, but lawlessness in the sense also of disregard for god's word right matthew 24 and verse 12 jesus says lawlessness will abound meaning one of the ways we can tell who is a false prophet and who is not a false prophet in the church is by the way they how seriously they handle scripture Jesus famously said that he came to fulfill the law, he came to fulfill God's word, and not one jot or tittle will pass away from God's word. Well, false preachers or false prophets, they do the opposite. They ignore God's word. They usually don't ignore like the major parts of it, but they will begin by ignoring the jots and the tittles of God's word. The... the, the, the seemingly minor parts, and that's where they begin. But that's lawlessness. Not only lawlessness in the sense of encouraging the church to disregard or disobey God's word, but lawlessness in the sense of they're disregarding the allegedly, quote-unquote, minor parts of Scripture, more and more so. And yet, the Spirit also says, that the word of God and the preaching of the word of God will overcome. Matthew 24 ends this way, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And so even though the spirit, even though Christ, even though God shows us that there is increasingly more and more godlessness outside the church and inside the church in the last days, it still ends on a hopeful note not just because god wants to you know be optimistic but because god is powerful right even the gates of hades will not overcome the church so yes the spirit in many places in scripture and we we just looked at one in matthew 24 but it's all over the place the spirit does expressly say that in the last days, godlessness will abound. But then it gives us four warning signs. Remember, these are rot coming from within the church. So we're not talking about outside the church. We're talking about from within the church. Deceiving spirits. Let's talk about that first. When the Bible uses that phrase, a deceiving spirit, that word spirit is there to suggest that when a false prophet comes into a church and starts to deceive god's people he will cloak it oftentimes he will cloak it with some sort of false spirituality if i wanted to sell somebody a lemon car um, i can't just tell them the straight facts because by common sense they will they will say, well, this is a this this car is no good. I'm not going to buy it. But if I wanted to really sell somebody a bad product, what I'm going to do is I'm going to appeal to everything else but the facts. I'm going to appeal to their senses, appeal to their emotions, appeal to maybe some sort of secret higher lifestyle that they will have if they just buy this car. I will show them everything else except the straight facts about that car to to try to deceive them into buying this bad product. And that's what happens in church. That's what happens a lot of times in church. This is what happens with many prosperity gospel churches and pastors, false prophets. Basically, the content of their preaching is entirely false. It's deceptive. But you don't ever see them argue their position from just the basis of the word and try to argue their way to convince you. They use all kinds of other gimmicks, Spiritual gimmicks to deceive you. Here's a healing. Here's secret secret water or some whatever they're they're trying to peddle. And here's a testimony by this lady that's used this water and now her cancer or her pain is gone. Some you know it's it's always this presentation where you're lured into wow, something supernatural and something. Spiritual, something on a higher plane is happening if I buy this product, or if I buy into this theology, or if I buy into this doctrine. And it's a false doctrine. Uh, There are some historical context to this. Back in Paul's day, back in Jesus' day, one of the biggest heresies was a heresy called Gnosticism. Just to describe Gnosticism in a nutshell, the Gnostics taking Greek philosophy and how Greek philosophy saw a differentiation between the human flesh and the human spirit and how Greek philosophers said the human flesh is fallen and sinful and all kinds of evil come from it, but the human spirit is sinless. It's perfect. It's it's, it's ideal. Uh, gnostics took that and kind of tried to couple it with christianity and god's word and basically they said we're made of two parts a fleshly part that is all sinful in a in a spiritual part that is not sinful that's all good cannot sin and so they encouraged folks to not only it, it's, it sounds very buddhist right to not only forsake uh Uh, fleshly things, but they actually encouraged people to seek out fleshly abominations because their souls and their spirit that was what was important and if so, if you if if that was pure, then you could do anything else and your spirit and your soul would still be pure pretty (laughs) diabolical way of of reasoning, but that's basically what happened with Gnosticism. It was this sort of higher spiritualism that they encouraged people to seek. And if you could get to that level, then it didn't matter what you did in the flesh, because you could indulge in all kinds of fleshly things, but your spirit and your and your soul would be would be untouched. That's kind of what goes on in uh, a lot of the prosperity gospel today, is they try to sell you this sort of higher form of spirituality, this higher form of access to to God that you can only get from this certain preacher if you you pay him a little money for this holy water and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And then you'll have this higher... Relationship with God that nobody else has It's what we see in Late night TV Christian, allegedly Christian channels Where uh, people claim they've discovered this code in the Bible And they're able to now calculate exactly when and where Jesus is going to come and when is the last day going to be because they've discovered this secret knowledge or this higher level spirituality in the Bible that nobody else is able to see when we examine scripture. But they've seen and they're able to see this code, this higher form of spirituality. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to give them money so, so they can you know, help pray for you and intercede for you. That's a warning sign. Deceiving spirits in the church. Another warning sign. The doctrines of demons, the Bible says. What is a doctrine of a demon? Do we have any examples in scripture of a demon doctrine? Or of a demon teaching something or trying to convey a certain doctrine uh, to people? part of the reason why we read Genesis 3 is, I think, there we see a doctrine of a demon. We see Satan's theology, if you want to put it this way, right? Genesis 3 talks about the temptation of Eve, and it shows what Satan's theology is. Basically, his tact or his philosophy or his game plan is to question Eve. Did God really say this? Did God really say you shall surely die? God didn't say you shall surely die. But in fact, if you eat of it, you will be like him knowing all things. Notice what Satan's theology does to Eve. It doesn't make her question The major things about God. Satan doesn't go after Eve and say, you ever think about Eve? Is God real? Does God exist? Is God holy? Is he almighty? You know, he doesn't go after the big things. He goes after what might be considered a minor thing. You know, when Eve stumbles, we all know the story, right? Genesis 3. She stumbles, she, she, she's, she says that she's not supposed to eat of this tree nor touch it. That's where she goes wrong. That's where she goes sideways. And we might think, well, that's a minor detail to go sideways on. And yet it is that specific little detail about God's word where Satan comes in and drives a wedge between Eve and God. It makes her sin. So the doctrine of a demon basically does this. One, it basically questions us. Did God really say this? And it often goes after a minor or supposedly minor detail in scripture. It doesn't go after the big things. goes after the minor things, the little things. Could it be that when the church today deviates from God's word just a little, on a minor detail, basically by saying, did God really say this? Did he really mean a day, 24-hour day, when he said days of creation? Did he really mean men can only be deacons and elders? when he said men and deacon, you know, men can be elders and deacons, did he really say that? Did God really mean justification by faith alone when he said justification by faith alone? Or did he mean justification by faith in accord with works at the final judgment? Could it be that when we do this in church, we are actually teaching the doctrine of demons? third warning sign, people who speak lies in hypocrisy. Here, we are talking about lack of integrity, people who lack integrity, people who say one thing but do another. The need for integrity is a recurring theme in this book of First Timothy. We talked about all about it, as we talked about the qualifications of elders and deacons. Right? One of the things we said was, how, do you, how can you really tell if somebody has all of these qualifications? And one of the ways the Bible says that you can tell is, look at his fruit. How is he with his family? What is his wife like? What are his children like? Does he rule his household well? Look at what he's done with them. Look at his fruit. Right. So integrity, doing what you say. This is a recurring theme in 1 Timothy. Uh, first Timothy actually begins this way uh, in chapter 1, verse 5. Paul first gives, of course you know this, Paul gives Timothy this charge to teach no other doctrine. And then Paul says in verse 5, Now the purpose of this charge or the purpose of this commandment is this, to love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. So Paul even reminds Timothy that when you charge people to teach God's word, The purpose is not just to say a whole bunch of things, but to actually do them, to love from a pure heart, to have a good conscience in the sincere faith. Jesus says this, Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Okay, Jesus, how do you tell? How can you tell if inwardly someone is a ravenous wolf? You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. By their fruits. By if this person actually does what he says, if he has integrity. That's one way we can tell if somebody is a true or a false prophet. Again, there is some historical context uh, to this warning sign. Remember in Jesus's day, one of the biggest opponents to Jesus was the Pharisees. What was wrong about the Pharisees? It wasn't necessarily their theology that Jesus pointed out as being wrong. It was their hypocrisy. They spoke lies and hypocrisy. They weren't people with integrity. This is what Jesus said. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, meaning they they like to sit in a, you know, in in a reputable seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe that, observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and not do. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. This is Matthew 23. If you ever come across someone who says, do as I say, but not as I do. I think that's a, that's a warning sign. We're not saying that men need to be perfect or have the ability to be perfect. Okay, no one is, except for Christ. No preacher is perfect. But even in their imperfection, And their weaknesses and their sin do they have some level of humility and do they repent and do they try to change you know even in their actions and their fruit in their sin in their fallenness are they consistent with scripture with what they say the last warning sign are people who have their own conscience seared. And here we are simply talking about people with no conscience. When you sear something, uh, you are it, it becomes calloused, right? And then there's no feeling. There's no conscience. Seems hard to imagine that there might be people out there with no conscience. But take a look around what's happening in our world. I actually think there's more and more people without a conscience. And again, these wording sites are for within the church, but look at outside the church, right? The, the protests in support of Hamas. How can you have a conscience and go out and support that? The uh, couple weeks ago, Maybe about a month ago when the thing trending on TikTok was that letter written by Osama bin Laden prior to 9-11 justifying his attacks on how can you and people were praising his letter. How can you praise that and have a conscience? But this also happens within the church. Uh, This was. This is what Romans 1 talks about. Remember as Romans one progresses, Romans one through three progresses, and Paul's laying out his his uh, his charge against the world that all have fallen aside but one of the one of the things you notice in Romans one is as people forsake God, God lets them forsake him. He hardens their heart. He allows them to to It's like he, he takes off the restraints on their, on their sinful nature. And he allows them to, to go into their, into that downward spiral into more and more and more sin. He gives them over to their lusts and they become calloused. They become people with no conscience. And so you're saying, what does that look like in church? a false prophet with no conscience if you think about i don't think it's very hard uh, to to think about examples you know think about think about the pastors who have fallen from grace because of adultery or some other scandal and how fast they repent and how fast they get back on the horse so to speak And you think, wow, this guy has no conscience. He has no conscience for what he's done with his prior family. You know, he's gotten remarried. And you don't hear anything about how he's trying to patch things up with his, with the prior family that he's wrecked. His own kids. And he's back on the horse a year later with another ministry. He doesn't feel bad at all about his prior ministry that he wrecked and all the lives that he's ruined. He's He's got his platform again. And, you know, it's not surprising when you go and examine his theology that it's full of false teaching. You know, I'm thinking of one person uh, who's out there teaching that uh, basically the gospel is not trying to do what God has told you to do, because you can't. Basically, if this is according to this guy, he says, the gospel is knowing you can't do God, what God wants you to do and repenting of it and relying on his grace. Which is a fancy way of saying you don't need God's law, you don't need to keep obeying it, you, you can't, and you just you know give up and rely on his grace, which is a very deceptive, it's false teaching but he, 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 he cloaks it in a very enticing way. Um, but all you have to do is look at his life. He has no remorse and no conscience about what he's done in his previous life. So those are the warning signs, deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, hypocrites, people without a conscience. In conclusion what are we supposed to do in light of all these warning signs um i thought about first kings 13. first kings 13 is that story of this man of god who goes to this evil king of israel and he he you know by god's spirit he's led by the spirit of god he he gives a prophecy basically saying that you know the the altar where you're offering these pagan sacrifices this altar is going to be shattered and the king doesn't believe him and so the king sort of goes over to the altar and the king spreads out with leprosy all over his, his hand. And the, remember that story? And the, and the king begs this man of God, heal me. And the man of God intercedes and, and heals the king's leprosy, right? And so, so far in this story, this man of God is a good and faithful man of God. But you know how the story goes, right? God commands him, don't tarry, go home with, you know, go straight home. Don't stop. And so he's he's on his way home. And another, remember the story, another man of God comes to him and says, well, the spirit told me this. You know, it's a deceiving thing, but couched in spirituality. The spirit told me this. Come to my house and, and, and have have some food. And as soon as the man of God said, okay, I'm going to go with you. God sent a, what was it? A lion or a bear? And mauled him to death. You know, I often think about if I was teaching this to my son, what's the point of this story? (laughs) What's the point of the story? I think the point of the story is this. Only listen to God's word. Don't listen to other people, even if they come to you with all these fancy spiritual things. Well, God told me this and God told me that. And God revealed to me this and God revealed to me that. Check everything with God's word if it goes against it then listen to god's word right beware of deceiving spirits beware of the doctrine of demons i mean that's a harsh phrase but that's basically what's going on in church i mean not our church but you know churches in general people all all everywhere saying well, did God really say this? You know, did he really mean this when he said this? And did he really mean that when he said that? Oh, and by the way, it's okay to have differing opinions because these are minors. These do not strike at the heart of religion. Okay. So all these warning signs God gives us, we ought to be people like the Bereans who check. Check. Even the words of Paul. Even the words of converted Paul, the Apostle Paul, they checked that against the Word of God. May God give us the awareness and the diligence to be aware of these warning signs. Let us pray, Heavenly Father. We we thank you for giving us a text like these. It is we admit it is easy to to just gloss over these phrases as oh you know maybe. Uh, they were just uh, random insults uh, against false teachers. But uh, in fact, they, they have much to say about the, the nature of these false prophets and the nature of false teaching that that so entices and tempts the church and, and makes her fall away. Lord, give us the grace and protect us from such errors. Uh, help us to see these errors as you see them in your sight, as deceiving spirit and doctrines of demons, and even worse. Lord, help us to 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 be faithful to your word, not only on things that we suppose are major, but even on, on, on every part of it, um, even parts that, that other men might consider to be minor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.